The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Handwriting is on the wall. America faces judgment. Now there are some who call themselves prophets who are saying we're entering into a golden age for America, that there will be a great revival that will restore America to what it used to be, and we will become a beacon of light for the world once more. I don't know where they're reading that in the scriptures, because it's not there. Instead, in the scriptures, judgment is coming. The handwriting is on the wall. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm going to share this message with you because I want you to be ready for what's coming. Food shortage famine, the collapse of the dollar, the taking over of this nation by increasingly immoral and wicked leadership. We are facing the destruction of our great nation. The judgment of God is going to be pronounced and is now being pronounced in flood, in drought, in volcanoes, in hurricanes, in earthquakes, all birth pangs. We are at the end of time, and a new era is about to begin, an era under the leadership of Jesus Christ. I rejoice in this. I praise his name for this. Some believe that we are right on the verge of a secret rapture. I don't know about that. I don't find that in the scriptures. Please, as I share this message with you today, know that I'm not going to add my own opinion. I'm going to simply share with you the straight word from scripture. It will be unlike what you may be hearing. 
Do I believe that a revival is coming in America? Yes, for a remnant of God's people. For the nation? Absolutely no. The handwriting is on the wall, and judgment has been decreed over this nation, and its destruction is sure. I want to take you to the story found in Daniel, the fifth chapter. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's very serious what I need to share. It's what you have put on my heart. And I know it's your word. So I pray, Lord, that as I share this message, oh Lord, turn our hearts back to righteousness. Uncover the lies that have been taught by pastors across this nation that has allowed this nation to be destroyed with sin. Lord, come. By the power of your Holy Spirit, come now. I pray in your holy name. Amen. In the fifth chapter of the book of Daniel, we find King Belshazzar, the son or grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And he is in the midst of a huge banquet. Over a thousand people in that room. It's a grand room. I'm sure it was stunningly beautiful. And they are drinking the finest of liquors, the finest of wine. And in the midst of this banquet, as he is beginning to be drunk, he gets the wild idea. Let's send for those beautiful gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar took from the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Let's use those to drink our wine, our alcohol. Let's use those and let's honor the gods that we stand for, the gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron, of wood and stone, the gods of power. And so they do so. And it is a party like few parties. I'm sure it was filled with every kind of uncleanness, immorality, pride, arrogance, wickedness. As they drank and became more and more boisterous and loud, as they shouted their adoration of Belshazzar, as they worshipped these worldly gods, the same gods that are held up in America today on the stock market, the same gods that are worshipped in our churches that have become businesses. The same gods. They haven't changed. When suddenly, without warning, a great hand, a fiery hand, appears against the white 
wall, smooth. The fingers of a human hand begin to write on the plaster of that wall. They write in fire. The king suddenly is still. He's, he's terrified. He's never seen anything like this. His face turns pale. He becomes so frightened that he can't control himself and his legs give way. That's a polite way of saying he probably could not control his urine. The king called out for the enchanters and the astrologers and the diviners to be brought. And he says to them, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Probably Nebuchadnezzar was still number one. This, however, is happening many years later. Daniel is probably pushing into his 60s, maybe a little older. The king's wise men come in. They too look at this fiery message on this pristinely white plaster wall. They know the meaning of the words, but they don't understand the message. And they tell the king, sorry, king, we can't read it. We don't know what it means. At this king, Belshazzar becomes even more terrified and his face grows more pale. He is ashen-faced. The nobles are baffled. They're watching. You could hear a pin drop in that room. The words are still there, fiery, fiery words of judgment. Loud wailing breaks out in the room. Fear, terror races across the hearts of every noble. The queen, hearing the commotion, comes into the banquet hall. Probably the queen mother, probably, as I'll show you, I think it was the wife of Nebuchadnezzar. O king, live forever, she says. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. He will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the, the king. And in front of all those nobles, the king says to him, Are you Daniel? one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, 
that you have insight and intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and the enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple. That is, you will be clothed in the royal colors of Babylon. You'll be given a great gold chain to hang around your neck, and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel calmly answers the king. And you can tell he is not a young man by his answer. He no longer feels any need to be pleasing to the king. We need to come to that place. You need to come to that place. A place of maturity where you say, I don't need to please anybody but Jesus Christ. I don't need to please people who call themselves my friends. I don't need to please the government. I don't need to please anyone except Jesus. He says, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Now, Daniel brings a message from the fingers of, of a heavenly watchman to pronounce judgment, the end of the Babylonian Empire, the end of the golden head of Daniel, the second chapter. And they are now going to transition into the silver kingdom of Medo-Persia. O king, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men's of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. <coughs> And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. That's what America has done in the world. The whole world has dreaded and feared our military power. Those that we have wanted to kill, we have killed out of no self-interest for America but simply out of our wanton desire for power and control. His heart became arrogant and hardened with pride. America's heart has become exceedingly arrogant and hardened with pride. He was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. 
His body was drenched with the dew of heaven, and he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you drank. You and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds his hand, in his hand, your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. God holds America in his hand, and he is filled with wrath at what he sees in America, the abortions, the perversions, the pride, the worship of material things, calling that which is holy, unholy, using his rainbow for perversion, God is angry with America. And wicked men are coming against this great nation in its leadership. Now Daniel begins to read. This is the inscription. He's looking up at that wall. The, the words are still there in fire. Meany, meany, tickle, you farson. This is what the words mean. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. America's days are numbered, and God intends to bring America to an end. Tickle. You have been weighed in the scales and found wanting. You've been weighed in the scales and found to be a lightweight. That's terrifying. God weighs every man and every woman on the scale of righteousness, of justice, of mercy. He weighs you on that scale. Has God found you to be a lightweight? Daniel is saying, Babylon has found, under your leadership, to be lightweight. Farson, your kingdom is divided and it is given to the Medes and the Persians. Now Daniel did not want the royal clothing. He did not want the gold chain. 
He knew by reading that writing upon the wall that it was over for Babylon. He knew judgment had come. But Belshazzar insisted, Daniel is clothed in purple, a gold chain is placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Belshazzar has just been told by the great prophet Daniel, a man who is the senior administrative officer of Babylon. He's just been told that Babylon is going to fall. Why is Belshazzar concerned about a purple garment? Why hasn't he immediately called his officers and said, we must be ready to protect this city? Why did he not move into emergency measures? Well, it would have been too late. Darius the king of the Medo-Persians had already caused the Euphrates River to be lowered. History tells us that it was diverted for a brief time and the armies of the Medo-Persians marched under the wall where normally the Euphrates River would be flowing that would prevent any army from entering. They could not have gotten through the gates. It would have taken a very long siege, and the armies of the Babylonian army would have been in full defensive posture. But everyone is there, and they're drunk. And the wall is breached. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, was killed, was murdered. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. I read this story and I tremble because I know the defenses of America are down. The border wall is not complete. We are being invaded from the south. Our whole nation is being ripped apart by utterly wicked organizations like Antifa or Black Lives Matter. Racial strife has been stirred up in our nation to such a degree that we're on the verge of a racial war. We have top officers in our military who are buying critical race theory, bringing people into the military who should not be in the military perversion on every side. Our military is being destroyed from the inside. 
I saw this begin to happen many years ago. I started in the ministry as a naval chaplain. My commanding officer, a chaplain, after some time said to me, Ray, you need to resign your commission and leave the Navy. I said, why? Am I not doing a good job? And he said to me, you're only interested in talking about Jesus and ministering to people the gospel of Jesus. That's not the primary job of a chaplain in the military. You are here as a psychological officer to support your commander. If you continue in the Navy, you will be court-martialed. With great sadness, I resigned my commission, and I have seen as the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, and the Marines have utterly trashed the gospel of Jesus Christ. I say that with great sadness because I love America. But let's hurry on. I have no time for sentiment today. I want to go to Matthew, the 24th chapter. This question, are we expecting a great revival that will turn America back to the Lord and restore us to what we once were? And my answer from Scripture is absolutely no. There is only in Scripture judgment for America. Destruction. Now, if you look with me at the 24th chapter of Matthew, Jesus is speaking to the apostles, and he says, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, at what time? The end time. Many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. What did the false prophets in Jeremiah's time? What did the false prophets in Isaiah's time? What did the false prophets during Elijah and Elisha's time, what did they all say? Victory! Victory! We're going to have a wonderful time. Judgment from God is not going to come upon us. The mark of a false prophet is in the face of great wickedness to prophesy the love of God. If I came on this radio broadcast and I only spoke to you about the great incomparable love of Jesus Christ, as some would have me do. I could well be labeled a false pastor. I'm not a prophet. 
I go to the scriptures and I read what the scriptures say. I believe in taking the scriptures literally at their word. And the word is, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So at the end of time, Jesus is saying that just before he comes, there will be a time when there will be a great falling away from righteousness. Now, he did not say there would be a great falling away from false churches, even though that's happening too. It is a falling away from the truth. It is because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, and I've shared before that that phrase, grow cold, is a verb, and it means to breathe gently, to kill, or to chill slowly. And that's what's happened in America. Except now it's accelerating at a very fast pace. I can't come to you and and prophesy some great, wonderful day of financial exuberance. No, the dollar's crashing. We're going to have a great reset. It's already in progress. If you're wise, like Joseph, you'll go to the grocery store and buy canned chicken and canned beef. You'll buy long shelf life items that your family uses. You say, oh, don't worry, God will take care of me. I'm sorry. God will not take care of the foolish who do not make preparation when they see the storm coming. Don't be deceived. The storm is coming, and it's going to be a hurricane. Jesus is saying, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It does not say that everyone will be converted. It says The gospel is going to be proclaimed, the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus, the authority of God to rule over your life. It's going to be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. This is different than that which is prophesied or spoken of. The closing verses of the book of Matthew, which we call the Gospel Commission. This is a final great outcry. That's what I'm doing right now. This is the prophesied announcement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom is coming now. It doesn't say that there will be crowds and millions who will respond 
and turn away from their wickedness and that we will turn back. Instead, we're told things will become worse and worse, more and more perverse. But God will have a remnant of righteous. There must be a great awakening of God's people, but it will be a remnant of God's people. It's not going to be a national great awakening. People will scorn a word of righteousness, of holiness. Now, I want to go to the Apostle Paul as he speaks to the church at Thessalonica concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered to him. This is in Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Now, I can tell you the next thing we're going to hear from some prophets is that a secret rapture has already taken place and just very few people were taken. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So Paul is saying, until we see the Antichrist on the scene, don't be deceived. The full rebellion against God, the full rebellion against righteousness must come. This is what is happening right now in America and in the entire world. But we have not yet seen the fullness of the rebellion. So don't hide your head under the covers and say, Oh, a great time of revival is coming and everything's going to be okay again and we're going to continue just like they used to live in America. No, it's not going to happen. Have you tried to talk with with people, worldly people, about the gospel of Jesus and seen the scorn, the ridicule? Have you spoken to those in sexual perversion and tried to address the question of their unrighteousness before a holy God? They want to kill you. And the day will probably come when they will. The man of lawlessness or the Antichrist, the man of sin, is to be fully exposed and revealed. The man doomed to destruction. So don't think Jesus is going to come before the Antichrist is fully exposed for who he is. Paul says he's not coming that way. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for the day will not come, the day of being caught away with Christ, until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, 
Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. Now, this Antichrist will be identified because he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, if I understand this correctly, the temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt before Jesus comes. Paul is saying, look, the man of sin is going to be fully revealed. The rebellion is going to take full force. Now, is this what I want? Absolutely no. Is this what would please me? No. I want to see a great awakening before this falling away, but the falling away is already here. It's taking place right now. Do you understand? We were vomited out of our church buildings in the Western world. We are seeing Marxism and tyranny on every hand. This is what's going to happen. It's happening right now. Grasshoppers eating up the crops that normally feed America on the West Coast. Drought causing the fruit trees and the nut trees to die. causing the salmon to die. We are going to see serious food shortages in America. The rebellion is going to go viral. We are going to go through a very painful, difficult time as the dollar crashes and is worth nothing. As they go to a one-world digital currency where there is total control. If you don't do what they demand you do, they can cut off your money. So you can't buy food. You can't survive. This Antichrist will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God. Don't you remember? Paul says that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till it's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved." For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie 
so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. I believe I know what that great delusion will be, and it's already here. We have in the American church, in the Western world, and we've spread it now everywhere, three great streams of belief about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have first the stream that we call Roman Catholicism. And in that stream, you are saved by faith and works. You are justified by works. And then they have their little system with penitence and with other ritualized traditional means of allowing you to gain some level of righteousness. This Catholic stream was brought into the Protestant Reformation. You find it in Lutheranism. You find it in Calvinism. They're not all that separate. I was raised in a conservative Christian denomination, but they believed that faith and works saved you. My father used to say to me, Ray, you just have to try harder. You can overcome, but you've got to try harder. Well, then there is another stream, and that is the Reformed Calvinistic stream, the Reformed Church in America. And it teaches in a very simplified form, and I am being very simple. I'm not going to go in depth. In a very simplified form, they believe that only a select few have been the elect of God, that you cannot resist the salvation, and that you were forgiven at the cross of all past, present, and future sins. They believe in the sinning Christian. They believe that Jesus gave you his righteousness. Of course, that's an impossibility. Now, the Catholics believe that righteousness is infused, and Lutherans believe that righteousness is infused, and other Protestant organizations believe in the infusion of righteousness by working hard. Then you have a third. I call it the Wesleyan stream. And every attack of the enemy has come against this stream. It is a minority, but it is the truth. It is what is found in Scripture. Read carefully Romans, the sixth chapter. Yes, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But through the miraculous work of Almighty God, the supernatural work of conversion, of being born from above, we become new creatures in Christ and we are freely given the gift of real righteousness, not false righteousness. 
we are actually made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. Not pretend, but real. You have these three streams of belief in the Christian church. I believe that the great delusion that's being spoken of in Revelation is the belief that I can continue to walk in my sin and still be saved. Both Catholics and Reformed believe that you can continue in your sin and still be saved, that you can never overcome your sin. Luther puts it this way. He says, a man gets up in the morning and he shaves his beard. He said, every morning a Christian has to get up and shave their beard of sin. That you can never live righteous before God. These are lies of the enemy. Luther did a great deal of good for the gospel. He was right on when he nailed his thesis to that Wittenberg door. But when he died, the church coalesced around his theology and did not continue. John Wesley brought forth the pure heart and that perfection in Christ is love, righteousness, innocence before God. Now, I don't know which of those streams you believe in, but I'm telling you now very frankly, there is a great delusion that we need to deal with very seriously. Because those, it says, who refuse to love the truth and so be saved, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And most Christians today in America delight in wickedness. Come on, let's be honest. I hear people say, Pastor, I just can't help myself. Yes, you can. You don't want to die. You don't want to give total surrender to Jesus Christ and allow him to take over your life. No, you can never overcome your sin and continue to live like a worldly person. You're going to have to separate from that wickedness. But we ought always, verse 13, this is Second Thessalonians 2, verse 13, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. We are made holy. We are saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and that is not the work of a lifetime. It's the work of a moment as we are converted and made righteous. Now, we will grow and mature. Immaturity is not sin. Rebellion, voluntary rebellion against God is sin. That's what the Bible defines sin as in the book of 1 John. He called you to this through our gospel, 
that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So brothers, stand firm and hold to the teaching we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Read carefully. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Read it and reread it and read it again. I have worn out the pages of my Bible as I have read these to come into a full understanding of what righteousness is, of what justification is, that repentance is the removal of sin from my life, aphemi in the Greek. This is the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So the man of lawlessness is in the process of being exposed in America. We are rapidly descending into total chaos and destruction. We are not looking for some great day of total revival where America turns once more to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. There will be a remnant of people out of this nation saved by the grace of God. I believe that that revival is right now in the process of beginning. That's why I'm giving you this message. But it's time to lay our life down for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to turn off the televisions, to turn off the videos, to turn off the games, to turn off the entertainment, and to get right with Jesus because his judgment is coming upon this nation. And this nation will not continue as it now is. It will be destroyed. Gives my heart no pleasure to say these things. But I have to be faithful to you and tell you the handwriting is on the wall. And destruction is coming to America. And the Antichrist is arising. And we will see it. And we will see Jesus come. In the clouds of glory. Almighty God. My heart is broken by this message. I know from your spirit the time for fun and games is over. The time of luxury, the time of wanton parties is over. For the handwriting is on the wall. Judgment is already falling. It may not yet pinch us, Lord, but it will. And I pray you will turn the heart of every person listening to this broadcast toward the kingdom of Jesus Christ, toward the gospel of the Lord. I pray that your will will be done in America even as your will is done in heaven. Yes, I pray for the blessing of America. I pray for the coming forth of a remnant of righteous men and women, boys and girls, 
who will love you with all of their heart and who will care for others with compassion and care and love. That we will demonstrate to this nation the kindness and mercy that fills your heart. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to hear from you. This is a faith ministry. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll find this video this evening. It'll be posted, and many other videos from this week and the weeks prior. Share them with others. If you're listening today on YouTube, would you subscribe if you haven't already? Hit the like button. And also, let me give you this address, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. It is time to repent and to get clean before God. If you're walking in sin today, get on your face before God. Read aloud Romans 6. 7, 8, ask for understanding and God will meet you. I love you, my brother. I love you, my sister. I'll talk to you soon.